want to talk about hope today. And I kind of want to do something really simple, and that's just walk through Scripture. I don't have anything amazing to say. I don't have any amazing points to make. Um, Every year we present the same themes of Advent, hope and love and joy and peace and the birth of Christ. And as I said, Advent is about longing for and anticipating the coming of Christ. Advent means, it comes from a Latin word, which means to come toward. So as the coming of Christ gets nearer and nearer, we are anticipating, we are longing for that. And today, we want to talk about how hope fits into that. Um, I love how the video said that God was not really keeping a secret as much as he was letting us know of a promise, and God keeps his promises. Hope is about uh, the promises that God has kept, the promise of sending a Savior, a Messiah, and how Jesus came and fulfilled that. And so the question that I have that really is a difficult question to answer, and it's it's a troubling question to consider because you have to put yourself in the place of many people in the Bible, and that is how can prophecies that were made literally centuries before their fulfillment, how can they bring hope to the present generation? I mean, the prophecies that Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and the prophets made took 700 years to find their fulfillment. The the prophecies that we're going to read today followed centuries and centuries of people waiting and waiting and not seeing the realization of that in their generation. Following that was the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament called the intertestamental period, which was one of silence. God was basically silent. There was no word from the Lord. There was nothing miraculous that happened. It seemed like God had given up on his people, that God had, that he was angry, that he had just uh, ignored people. And so the birth of Christ followed centuries of silence and, and centuries of unfulfilled promises and prophecies. And so that's what makes it all the more astounding. And so I want to I answer that the reason why we can have hope, even though prophecies were made 700 years through Isaiah that didn't get fulfilled until the time of Christ, is because hope is found in a person. Hope is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is living. He has risen from the dead and secured that hope for us. And so we serve a risen Lord. We serve a, a Lord who is alive yesterday, today, and forever, and our hope is in Him. So I want to talk about three simple things today. If you're taking notes on the outline, if you have an outline, um, I want to suggest, first of all, that Christmas hope is found in promises kept. And prophecies fulfilled. Christmas hope begins with promises that are kept and prophecies that are fulfilled. Scholars and theologians agree that conservatively, our Christmas hope, our Christian hope, is based upon at least 300 Old Testament prophecies that are fulfilled in the New Testament. Many of those just in in the life and ministry of Jesus. 300 Old Testament prophecies that find their fulfillment in Christ, his life and his ministry. That's really the essence of hope. I love what Paul writes in Romans 15, chapter, I mean, chapter 15, verse 4. 
He says, for whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction that through perseverance and the encouragements of the scriptures, we might have what? Hope. Hope. Whatever was written was written for our instruction. That word in the Greek means literally doctrine. The, the Greek word is translated as doctrine 19 times and teaching one time. Whenever you're translating, you go with the, the main usage. You don't do the obscure one. So whatever was written in previous times was written for our doctrine. What is doctrine? Doctrine is something that for many of us is boring. It, it's technical. It's something the scholars and theologians wrestle with. But doctrine, if you will, are, are the pillars of our faith. They are the foundational truths on which we build our life. And they are very much, very important. That's why, you know, you can go to a church that might differ on, with where you're coming from on, on women in ministry or spiritual gifts or when Christ is returning. But, but if you go to a church that doesn't believe that Jesus Christ is God, that doesn't believe in the virgin birth, that doesn't believe in the inerrancy and the infallibility of God's word, of the scriptures, and many, many other things, then, then you're in deep trouble because those aren't dispensable truths. Those are foundational pillars upon which we anchor our faith and our life. Things which never change, things which are predictable. And so whatever was written was written for our instruction that through perseverance, that word for perseverance means a patient, steadfast endurance. And that's exactly what patience is. Patience is hanging in there even when our circumstances seem to be contrary to our expectation. As we look at the things around us, everything seems to be against what we're hoping in. That perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, that word encouragement means consolation and comfort. I, I love how Jesus is referred to as the consolation of Israel. And, and consolation, as we've said before, is not, uh, here, let me bring you a, a box of Kleenex and console you. Consolation means to fortify, literally to fortify with strength. To comfort means with strength. So to come alongside somebody and to fortify them, to build them up, to strengthen them. That's what the scriptures do for us. And all of this is driving home the point that truth transforms. Truth transforms. Focusing upon truth has the ability to change us, to transform us, to lift us. And that's what I'm hoping happens during this Advent season, as we look forward to the coming of Christ, obviously he has come, but he's coming again, and we look forward to that. So we celebrate his first coming and what he brought and did on our behalf, and we look forward to his, his greater coming, his future coming, the final coming, and that brings us hope as we reflect upon that. The reality is that truth is not merely something external that we chase after, that we pursue, that we study. It's not an external entity. Truth is internal because truth resides in us, not in some new age wacko sense, but truth resides inside of each one of us that have accepted Christ as our Savior. He has made his home within. And so truth is inside of us. It's internal. 
It lives in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Truth aligns us with God's heart, with his will, with his plan, with his purposes. It renews our spirit. It restores our strength. It gives us determination to persevere through hardship and trials because we know that God is ultimately in charge of the outcome. We don't have to fret. We don't have to worry because we know God is sovereign. He is in control. And he will bring about his purposes for his glory. So that's what truth does for us. Christmas hope is found in promises kept and prophecy fulfilled. And I want to share with you the first prophecy that comes from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 to 4, if you're taking notes. Isaiah 11, 1 to 4. Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. And the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. Just, just a word that whenever you're reading scripture, prophecy about Jesus, or scripture about Jesus and his earthly ministry, it, it sounds very humanistic. And that's the, that's the incarnational language, that God became flesh. We are not saying that God became, that Jesus became divine by proving himself, by living a sinless life, by dying for us, by doing all these things for God. No, there's humanistic language because deity was veiled in human flesh. And so all of this language about Jesus sounds like God is giving him things and doing things for him, but it's merely the, the flesh that he took on. Jesus was God and deity all along. But the spirit of the Lord would rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in obeying the Lord. He will not judge by appearance nor make a decision based on hearsay. He will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word. And one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. He will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. We just talked about truth and all that it means. And he's enclosed in truth. Isaiah 42 verses 1 to 7. Look at my servant whom I strengthen. He is my chosen one who pleases me. I have put my spirit upon him. And he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. But he will bring justice to all who have been wronged. He will not falter or lose heart until justice prevails throughout the earth. Even distant lands beyond the sea will wait for his instruction. God the Lord created the heavens and stretched them out. He created the earth and everything in it. He gives breath to everyone, life to everyone who walks the earth. And it is he who says, I, the Lord, have called you to demonstrate my righteousness. I will take you by the hand and guard you. I will bring you to my people, Israel. He's talking about Jesus, his son, the Messiah as a symbol of my covenant with them, and you will be a light to guide the nations. Listen to this last part. You will open the eyes of the blind. You will free the captives from prison, releasing those who sit in dark dungeons. That's why it is so 
profound and so beautiful that one of the first things that Jesus did in his public ministry is he went to his local synagogue, the local church of his day in Nazareth. And he was handed the scroll of Isaiah. This is what we read from Luke chapter 4. When Jesus came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And then he rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. You can't miss this, the drama of this. And all the eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently, like, what was that? What was that all? What, what, what just happened? And then Jesus began to speak to them. And he said, the scripture that you just heard has been fulfilled this very day. As Jesus begins his ministry, he's like, you know everything that you've heard in the Old Testament about the Messiah, about his coming? You know the longing that the people of Israel have just gone through for centuries upon centuries? I'm the, I'm the fulfillment. I have come. I'm the one. Now, he did not look like what they anticipated. They wanted somebody, as we've said many times, that would come and physically deliver them from the Romans, from their oppressors. But Jesus came to bring salvation. He came to bring spiritual peace, which precedes physical peace in every way. But Jesus is, is mouthing the mission of the Old Testament prophecies, bringing freedom to the prisoners, release for the captives, setting you know, the oppressed free and bringing about justice. That's me. I've come to fulfill that. I am the one that Scripture has spoken about. So first of all, Christmas hope, Christian hope, begins and promises kept, and prophecies fulfilled. Secondly, it is found in the birth of Christ, because the birth of Christ is what brought all of this about, the incarnation where God took on human flesh. Isaiah the prophet wrote in Isaiah 9, verse 6, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with my people Israel and Judah. The covenant will not be like the old one that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I loved them. As a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant that I will make with the people of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my instructions, the instructions that we read about of the scripture that brings us hope through perseverance and patience, I will put my instructions deep within them. I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, 
nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord, for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord. I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. God is saying, you won't have to pursue truth. You won't have to study truth, per se. You won't have to chase after it, because it will be in you through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It'll be written on your hearts. That's how close it'll be to you. Matthew, who wrote his gospel to the Jews, and that's why Matthew um, presents more fulfilled prophecies than any other gospel because the Jews appreciated that. Matthew is specifically saying to his own people, look how Jesus fulfills all of the promises and prophecies that we know so well. He is the Messiah. That's Matthew's point, to show that Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy. Matthew 21, verse 18 to 21, look at my servant whom I have chosen. He's saying this, Jesus is the fulfillment of this prophecy. He is my beloved who pleases me. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not fight or shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. Finally, he will cause justice to be victorious. And in his name will be all the hope of the world. New American Standard Version says, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. What is that saying? You just, oh, he's got such a beautiful name. It's so sweet. It just rings on the lips. Jesus. No, Jesus means Yahweh saves. God is the one. Jesus is salvation. Jesus is redemption. In his name, the Gentiles, all the nations of the earth will hope because he is the one that brings God's salvation and makes it accessible to us. That's why John, when he wrote his gospel, says that the word became flesh Chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, made its dwelling right in our midst, and we beheld his glory, <clears throat> glory as of the, of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then Jesus, right before he went to the cross in John 14, made that promise, if anyone loves me and loves my Father and keeps my words and keeps his words, we will come and we will make our abode within you. So God goes from being silent for centuries to appearing in the person of Christ in human form, tangible, accessible to people, then going from that to actually indwelling human hearts through faith. Not dwelling in a temple in the Ark of the Covenant that only the high priest could access when we'd go to make offerings for the sins of the people, but within, accessible, the power of that. And all of this was brought about through the birth of Christ. And that's why Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, Christ in you is the hope of glory. Christ in you and Christ in me is the hope of glory. Christ in you is the down payment and the pledge of your future union with him when he returns. It's like the engagement ring. The Holy Spirit living inside of you is the promise and the pledge that God will return for you. And that's the language of John 14 again, because Jesus started John 14 by saying, 
In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. And that's when Thomas says, we have no idea where you're going and we don't know how to get there. And Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. But Jesus was speaking in the language uh, of a new husband. The husband would propose to his bride-to-be and then he would go away and he would add on to the father's house because that's where they would live, in the family home, adding on. Which, by the way, is the whole you know, thing about Christmas that Mary and Joseph were not wandering around from hotel to hotel looking for room. They were going back for the census in Bethlehem. And you cannot tell me that they were going home to Joseph's extended family and there was no room for them. What is being said is that they went home to the family home and that there was no room in the end. Cataluma was the, the topmost room of the house, which was the guest room. And because the guest room was occupied, they went into the side stable connected to the house. And Jesus was born in the family home stable. And then the minute he was born, he was brought into the house. That's what happened. But God is taking on human flesh. He is indwelling us. That is the hope of glory. The final piece of Christian hope or Christmas hope is found in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Through Christ's death and resurrection, he secured eternal hope for us. I love the language of Romans 8, Romans 8, 23 to 25. And we believers also groan along with all of creation. Even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of our future glory, we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. And if we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. And friends, that's what Christian hope is. It's waiting patiently and confidently for what God has promised. Hope here is not about waiting for God's promises to be fulfilled. Christian hope is the very means through which God's promises are activated. And, and to me, that answers the question that we began with. How do people that were made promises centuries before their fulfillment, how do, they, how do they have hope in the here and now? Because hope is not just patiently waiting for something. Hope is the way that we activate those promises and make them real right now. I came up with my own definition of Christian hope, biblical hope, years ago. And, and this is what I came up with. That hope is allowing the certainty of our promised future to transform our present reality. Hope is allowing the certainty of what God has promised for us to reach into the present and transform our present circumstances. That's Christian hope. Hope is what activates God's promises and the prophecies. And Romans 8 tells us that's precisely what Jesus secured for us through the cross. Peter follows up on this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. 
He says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection is the means through which we are reborn, rebirthed to a living hope, living because Jesus is very much alive and he is the eternal one. Many of you learned in school growing up how Karl Marx once termed religion and and really Christianity as the opiate of the people, the opiate of the masses. By that he meant it's it's kind of our drug of choice, it's our it's our fix, it's our crutch um, that helps us get through life. But over the years, people have criticized Christians for being so focused on the future that they really forget about the importance of the presence. And they argue that believers in some ways have been so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. You've all heard the criticisms. But we never need to apologize for longing for and looking forward to and hoping for a new heaven and a new earth where Christ will reign and justice will prevail. Because justice and comfort and hope are seldom found in this life. But they are found through the reign of Christ as we allow him to live in us and as we allow him to work in this, in this world as well. And as I said, our hope not only acknowledges Christ's reign, but it activates the power of that. Biblical hope, again, is allowing the certainty of our promised future to transform our present reality. Today, we look back and we celebrate Christ's first coming, the hope that he brought us, the salvation that he brought us, and we look forward to his future coming when he gathers us together from all the corners of the earth as his bride, the church, to live with him forever. Let's pray. Father God, we celebrate hope today. Not a wishy-washy, oh, I hope this happens, I hope that happens. But certainty, the certainty of your promises, of prophecies that will be fulfilled, that have always been fulfilled with 100% accuracy, because you have the power to make them, to fulfill them, to, to bring them about. They are based in you. You are the fulfillment of your word. God, even today on the way to church, listening to to Christmas songs, I love how Jesus is the word of the Father now in flesh appearing. Thank you that you sent Jesus to show us what you're like. Thank you that you sent Jesus to rescue us, to redeem us, to take our place at Calvary, to pay the price for our sins that we might become your righteousness through him. Lord God, as we look forward to celebrating this Christmas, all that it means, all that you've done for us, may we take the time to just dig deep into your word and to soak in the truths and the realities of who you are. God, may we never get distracted by other things, but may we never get caught up in material pursuits. May we never make this time of year about us. It's about you, and it's about proclaiming your truth to others. And Lord God, as we give today, from want or from plenty, 
we give acknowledging that everything we have is a gift from you. And so we give trusting and believing that you will multiply our resources to not only meet the needs of this church, but this community and our missionaries around the world who are doing your kingdom work. We ask all of these things in your name. Amen.